everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, Hannah Rosen. Joining me today is Sam Berryman, winner of the 2023 SLAS Graduate Education Fellowship Grant, and he's here to tell me all about his exciting research. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Hannah. I'm really excited to be on here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So to start us off, can you just kind of briefly summarize your proposed research for the SLAS Graduate Education Fellowship Grant? Yeah. CAR-T cell therapy is a new form of cancer therapy that modifies a patient's own immune cells in order to give them the ability to target and kill cancer cells. So these therapies have been shown to be highly effective against certain cancers like uh, B cell lymphoma. However, a major challenge in the application of these therapies is that many of the modified immune cells don't actually participate in the killing of the tumor cells as intended. At least that's the way we see it. And this variability increases the potential for side effects, as well as gives rise to higher dosage requirements that results in greater cost and reduced accessibility for patients. So in order to determine why only a small subset of those CAR-T cells are functional, I'm working on developing technologies to study these cells at the single cell level, and we're sort of developing this new platform for investigating this uh, based around our NanoL devices. Wow, that's really cool. So you said that only a small subset of these CAR T cells are actually targeting the cancer cells as they're supposed to. What are the rest of them doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um so they're still secreting cytokines and behaving how they normally would because they are a T cell. And that's kind of the problem here is that we're putting them into the patient and they're not behaving as expected, but they're still contributing to some of these side effects. And it's a large number of them too. We've had uh, some of our experimental studies where we start looking at, you know, like 50% having sort of a low behavior and even 25 to 30 literally doing nothing uh, when they interact with cancer cells. So if they're still, you know, releasing cytokines, are they then, you know, killing healthy cells in the human body? Yeah, they're almost uh, killing the person, to be honest. Wow. So one of the big risks with this treatment is this thing known as cytokine release syndrome. That is caused by all of these extra cytokines uh, being released at a super high level. And it can cause issues ranging from like a small fever in the patient all the way up to organ failure and uh, neurotoxicity. So there's major complications that are associated with this therapy that we want to try to mitigate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those sound like some pretty major complications. <laughs> so so how often are you able to use, or I shouldn't say you, because presumably you're not doing this with the patients, but how often are doctors able nowadays, is this something that we're actually able to use in a clinical setting where patients are receiving CAR-T treatments, or is this something that's still in the theoretical stage? This is absolutely in the clinic. It's being used, although right now it is quite expensive, depending on where you're getting it. I believe there is just a massive number of clinical trials for other cancer targets. Uh, like I said, it really started with B-cell lymphoma, which is kind of interesting because B-cell lymphoma, right, is B-cells. And it turns out if you just kill all of the B-cells, you eliminate the cancer and the B-cells will come back later, right? They'll regenerate. That was the proof of concept with CAR T cells where they said we can target B cells and cure cancer in these patients. And it has been quite successful. Well, that's amazing. So it's not so much that the, the CAR T cells are seeking out 
cancerous cells. They're just eliminating an entire type of cell. Exactly. However, like, you know, I don't want to just say that's what they're doing because there's so much research right now on trying to identify cancer markers on cells and then tuning the car itself to be able to recognize those cancer markers. And that almost gets to the point where it's patient uh, specific. Mm. Can you tell us, you know, I, I feel like we always see CAR T written out. Can you what, what does the, the CAR stand for in CAR T cell therapy? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor and the T, of course, for T cell. So we take a patient's T cells and then it's modified using a lentil viral carrier. So this genetic material is inserted into the genome so that it will sort of create this receptor, which is then presented on the surface of the cell. So does the success of this treatment, because you said that we're taking the patient's own cells their own T cells and genetically engineering them. So does some of the success or failure for these treatments depend largely on the patient themselves, or is it more of how we're modifying the T cells? Yeah. And that is a great question. That is really an aspect of our research where we're trying to say that, you know, there's this heterogeneous population of T cells, not just on the specific um, subsets of T cells that we know, but even among those subsets. And that behavior is going to be different patient to patient. And we need to start understanding why and what's causing those effects. Because if that's our starting manufacturing material, we need to characterize it a little bit better. So how is your research going to go about solving this problem? We really want to start looking at uh, the single cell level to try to identify the subsets of cells that are better at killing the cells. And we don't want to stop there. We don't just want to run this experiment where we say, hey, this cell is really good at killing cancer. Afterwards, we want to retrieve those cells and we want to investigate different internal regulatory sort of stuff that's going on, as well as any surface markers or anything else that we might correlate with the behavior so that we can modify the manufacturing uh, process. So can you discuss a little bit what the role that is that machine learning is going to play into your research? I love that question because you know, there's so many sort of new pitches or projects that come along and people try to, you know, kind of throw machine learning in because it's a great way of getting in the door in some places. So my background, I focused uh, extensively on computer vision. I think that's a really important building block for going into this space. So if we use classical segmentation approaches, because we are doing microscopy imaging, you can expect a sort of a cell segmentation error ranging around 10 to 15 percent. And that's just among rounded, uh, easy to segment cells. So in our case, we're working with T cells, which go from a compressed to an elongated state, which makes that even more difficult. So we use machine learning models to do sort of semantic segmentation of cells, our nanowells, and even to the extent of making sort of outcome classifications or regression predictions of our nanowell experiments. And we really, really need to do that. I should say it's it's about overcoming that error. So since we're looking for a rare cell population, if we have a 15% error just in what we're observing, that's going to be a huge problem because we're already talking about um, running these experiments on the scale of about 500,000 at a time. And that 15% could be critical. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. When you get to those numbers, yeah, 15%, that's going to be a very high number there. (laughs) So what made you interested in this topic in the first place? 
I find single cell research to be an extremely interesting and rewarding field because it unmasks many of the assumptions that we make about the discrete cellular phenotypes and cell types that we know. So there are subpopulation variations that we really don't quite understand yet. We just chop it up and say the cell type mostly behaves one way or another. But with new advancements in the biotech space, studying these single cells is becoming you know, not only an option, but a huge opportunity for innovation. Is that one, one of the reasons you maybe got interested in T-cells specifically is because you said there's so much variation in the different types of T-cells that we're kind of only really starting to scratch the surface of, it seems. Yeah, they're they're super complicated. And I got to say, like they're difficult to work with. Uh, there are <laughs> days where you're frustrated and you're like, did I make the right decision? I, I think I did, but <laughs> it can be frustrating. Um, and that might also just be why we don't know that much about them, at least uh, from my point of view. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like that's a great justification, perhaps, for your research is that we need better ways of studying these really difficult cell types, especially. Yeah. If you can come out of it and just say, hey, this is how you use these and study these, that's an important finding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's really exciting. I mean, it sounds like really important work. And I definitely can relate to the desire to want to do the research on something that no one else is doing. And then you get started doing the research and you're like, oh, this is why no one else is doing it. It's because it's really, really hard. <laughs> but perhaps that's where the best the best innovation comes is when you uh, you got to solve that problem. Someone's got to anyway. <laughs> yeah, if you tackle an easy problem, that's, you know, a lot of other people are going to be working on it as well. Yeah, where's the fun? Where's the fun in tackling the easy problem that's already been solved? Yeah, you definitely learn a lot more from doing something difficult. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit of, you know, how will this SLAS Graduate Education Fellowship Grant help you with fulfilling all of these research goals? So I believe the SLAS Fellowship offers me an excellent opportunity to establish connections with peers in the community. And, you know, I'm not just saying that to sound nice. I've already started forming these new connections. So just last month, I attended the SLAS conference in San Diego, where I was giving a talk. And that conference was a huge help in facilitating contact with current and new suppliers, but also in initiating conversations with new partners and collaborators. And I can't stress enough how helpful that was for my research. And it actually resulted in changes to my experimental methods. Just three days after the conference, I was back in Vancouver and I had a rep from the conference in our lab talking to me about solving some of our problems. And quite literally today, I have two new products arriving to our lab from suppliers that we're testing out or another one that we're forming a new collaboration on a study with. And those are both that we met at SLAS, you know, and that's just today. So I really do see the fellowship as being an opportunity to enter this great community that's just filled with brilliant organizations and opportunities. Well, I love to hear that. It's so great to know that it's not just about, you know, the money. It's also, you know, building those connections and facilitating that conversation and really helping to to expand the idea of the research itself. That's really exciting for us to know. So thank you. Yeah, I am really, really excited about the professional sort of opportunity here um, and a nice way of entering into the biotech sector of which SLS is so involved. That's great. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your education? Where are you in completing your PhD? Whose lab are you working in? You know, tell us a little bit about your educational journey thus far. 
Yeah. So I come from a little bit of a different area. Um, I have an engineering background. I actually did my undergrad in uh, mechatronics, so more of the robotic side of things. And then in my graduate studies, I focused much, much heavier, very heavy on the biomedical aspect of things. So I'm sort of in the final phases of my PhD, where I've developed this technology, right? A lot of the software that goes into it and the experimental methodology. And right now, the stars are just kind of starting to align where you, you know, you do all of the upfront work. And then at the end, it's like, okay, gather data, 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 analyze, and let's go. So I'm really, really excited about where we're at right now and the potential for the data we're going to generate. That's great. Where are you doing all of this research? So I am at the University of British Columbia. We are a member of the Center for Blood Research in the Life Science Institute. Wonderful. That's great. So what are your then your long-term career goals? You know, you're nearing the end of the PhD, it sounds like. What do you plan on doing afterwards? Yeah, so I think that what comes next for me is going to be entering the biotech sector, as I said. Um, we are actually looking at potentially commercializing uh, some of the research that I've developed. So we've sort of made this small device um, and we're trying to follow up on that. Um, but I really think that I'm going to, I would like to end up in this area of single cell research and trying to delve deeper into it in um, more of the private sector sense. That's fantastic. Well, you know, once you do get your uh, startup up and running, we have a great opportunity at the SLAS conference on Innovation Avenue. So you'll definitely have to come back when you've got a big fancy biotech startup to, to exhibit. Yeah, I mean, if things work out, it could be a really good opportunity going through this fellowship. Wonderful. So do you have any advice for some young PhD students out there who are trying to obtain funding for their research? You know, what advice would you give them? The advice I'd give them is, you know, don't stop. Don't give up uh, when you get a rejection because you're going to get a lot more rejections before you get accepted. But also make sure that you have a sort of a really close uh, communication with your professor and senior members of your lab. Because anything you write or develop or send, you need to get other eyes on it. You need to have them reviewing it. It doesn't have to be you alone trying to develop that writing material. But other advice that I might give, and this is just something that I found really successful, say, at my talk at SLAS. For my research, I actually created a brochure. So when you go to give a talk, sometimes it can be a little bit upsetting that you go and give a talk and there's not many people in the room, right? And that can be a little bit frustrating for you. And you don't feel like you reached the size of audience that you wanted. So I made this brochure and you know, three days before my talk, every day I was going out and I was trying to find the people that I wanted in my talk. And so I almost, I spent three days recruiting people just to come listen to me. And that was actually very successful because in my talk, you know, I had a, a rather full room and that is going to lead to more opportunities to talk to people and make these connections. Wow, that is a fantastic idea. That's not something I've ever heard of anyone doing before. And now that you say it, I'm like, why aren't people doing that? That's such a good idea, especially if there are specific people that you really want to attend your talk. Yeah, go seek them out, especially if you're later on in the conference. That's a that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. I should have just kept it to myself. <laughs> not a year from now, that's going to be the trend. Everyone's going to be doing it. They're going to be handing out brochures, passing out cards. You're, you're going to start a new wave in how people approach conferences. 
Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me today. It's been really fun to get to know a little bit more about your research. And we really look forward to seeing you at more SLAS events in the future and kind of following where your research goes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Awesome.